everybody. Uh, welcome back for another edition of Fig and Lock Coast to Coast. I'm Mr. Fig. And I'm Mr. Lock. Hey, everybody. Uh, we got a fun little cast this week. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Quantum Mania, which dropped this weekend. Uh, we'll try to keep it spoiler free. Uh, we'll just kind of give general impressions on that. I saw it. I know Mr. Locke hasn't get, got a chance to see it yet, but uh, he's been tracking on it and he's got some questions tied up or teed up. Uh, we're also going to talk about the dropping of the new Picard Season 3. And then uh, we'll follow up with a little 90s nostalgia, uh, given some of the things we see in the media as of late. But before we dive into that, Mr. Locke, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Busy week. Um, tonight is, you know, per normal tradition after the Super Bowl, we have NBA All-Star Weekend. So you had um, the slam dunk competition last night, little Mac. He won uh, the championship, you know, and if you know, if you follow basketball really close, you knew he was going to win it because this guy's been dunking since high school. So he's gone viral. So, so now him just jumping over people is like, if you didn't know who he was, you know who he is. He's some guy who is six foot, barely, and he could jump over people. Like, he's just amazing leaping abilities, and he was it looked flawless to do a he had a 720 spin dunk he jumped over somebody tapped the backboard it was crazy you know what i mean it was entertaining it's probably one of the better entertaining slam dunk competitions we've had in about the last five five six years yeah all right yeah i guess uh pretty soon here we got march madness coming to uh coming to us here pretty soon uh that's probably the one thing i do follow a little bit um just because I know uh, my sister's school is usually up there, uh, VCU, and then uh, a lot of the other colleges that we grew up with, like ODU, are usually usually pop in there. So uh, I like to follow those just because they usually attract teams that I, you know, we we knew growing up and uh, people close to me follow. But uh, my college is never in there, but it's fun to watch everybody else's college be in there. <laughs> so um, yeah, so what so what did you see this week? All right, so this week, uh, as I mentioned, uh, two big things dropped in pulp culture. Uh, yeah, uh, Marvel's Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania dropped on Friday, and then Picard Season 3. Uh, so we'll start with um, with Quantumania uh, and uh, our, our general impressions on that. Uh, I'll try to be spoiler-free. I think probably be a, a few spoilers, but nothing I think. I'm not going to give anything serious away in my review of it, but uh, I, I'll start by saying... Uh, it's a good movie. It's not the best Marvel movie I've seen in recent history, um, but it is good. It is entertaining. Um, if I had to you know, rank it among some of our more recent Marvel films that have been released, it's better than Love and Thunder, uh, but it, you know, it's not as good as Wong, Wakanda Forever. Um, but it, you know, it's, really? it's, it's good. It's a good. It's a good movie. Uh, it definitely continues to further the story they've been setting up as far as the multiverse goes. Um, and it follows up, kind of follows up to what we saw in Loki, with the introduction of King the Conqueror uh, at the end of that of that TV series. So we get we get more of an understanding of what the character is and uh, what motivates him. Um, and then it's I think it's a good it's a good follow up to um, to what we saw in you know with, in Ant Man and the Wasp and what we saw in Endgame and Infinity War. Um, uh, so it, it, but it as far as the movie goes, uh, you know, compared to some of the movies we've seen that you know post Endgame like Spider Man No Way Home and uh, you know Wakanda Forever, uh, it's not quite as good as those, but it's you know it's a good it's a good Marvel movie. Is it better than Doctor Strange? Uh, I would argue it's probably tied with Doctor Strange. You know, it's like like mm-hmm. Doctor Strange again was another one of those movies. It wasn't terrible, you know, it wasn't great, but it was it was good. Like it, it you know, the, it, there are some high points in the movie that really kind of like make make you smile and kind of get you excited. But then, but overall, the movie's just kind of like, oh, it's good. It's a good Marvel movie, you know. Like I'm I'm still kind of like in awe of how high esteem you hold Black Panther too. You know, <laughs> this high esteem of this movie. I just like Wakanda Forever. I think just because it's just emotionally. It's such a good movie, and this this the story and the uh, the stories and the characters, and seeing how they how Shuri evolves over the course of the film, and you know just I just felt like from an emotional standpoint, uh, and in the wake of Chadwick Boseman's death, it it does a really nice job. 
Um, again, I'm not saying it's the greatest Marvel movie. I don't, uh, but I still think it's it's pretty darn good. Um, but um, I heard that you know, I heard Jonathan Majors mm-hmm. did an amazing job. I yes, he did. He absolutely murdered the role. It was he did yeah. it really well. You believe Cam is a bad guy? Thanos levels. People are saying it. Yeah, Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror um, is very good. Uh, he does a nice job. Uh, you know, when we first meet him, uh, spoilers in the film, uh, he it is not it does not necessarily play out, or we don't know how nefarious he really is, um, and it, it doesn't really become revealed later on in the film um, what his true intentions are. Uh, what is what it is he's trying to do when he's trying to get after, but I would argue so. Mu- but much in the same way that Thanos believed that what he was doing was the best thing for the galaxy, um, Kang and Jonathan Major's role as Kang feels at his core he is doing what is best for the multiverse, and if he doesn't do what is what is if he doesn't do what he does, um, then the multiverse will unravel and there is a much bigger threat coming that will destroy everything. So for him, like he really believes that what he is doing is the right thing, regardless of the number of lives that are lost in the process. Okay. So in the, in this movie, what do you feel this movie fails in? So I think it fails in stakes. Um, And the reason why I say that is uh, so spoilers in order for me to talk about this, I do have to spoil some things. Spoilers, um, everyone survives in the end. And I think that's where I have a problem. Because the way that they filmed, they marketed the film was like, especially when you see that line in the trailer, like, I don't have to win, we just both have to lose. It implies that either Ant-Man is going to die or something is going to happen to our hero that he can't walk back from. Right, there. So that, 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 and it almost implies that 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 act in itself will have repercussions. But instead, what we get is the defeat of the villain, and both, you know, and then Ant Man and the Wasp, you know, get to basically return back to their normal lives with a few minor exceptions. But at the end, but at the end, like all the stakes that were kind of laid in front of us didn't matter, and so. So that was kind of my my major issue with it. Like, there were no stakes, and I would have liked to have been there for them being. It's it's the third movie in the franchise. Obviously, they want to keep Ant Man around for a reason. Um, so they they obviously didn't kill him off, and they didn't put him in a position that he can't get come back from. But that's where I felt the movie fell short, and I think that's I feel like that's where some of the Marvel movies have been falling short as of recently. You know, I think Infinity War and Endgame showed us like stakes. You know, like people, like you know, lives were lost that and, and that couldn't become that couldn't people could not come back from. And I feel like the most in a lot of the Marvel movies, you know, they've been light on stakes. You know, Mar- you know, multiverse of madness, right? Like, you know, uh, the you know the stakes, you know, were rel- turned out to be relatively low. Um, same thing with you know, even in Wakanda Forever. Um, you know, the, 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 the stakes turn out to be relatively low in general for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, not necessarily for the character, not necessarily for the character of Shuri, but in general, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the stakes are relatively low here, given that this movie is like the launch of phase five and it's supposed to kind of launch us down this road toward the Kang dynasty. Um, I felt like, uh, the stakes could have been a little higher. Yeah. I mean, um, what I heard spoilers is that. Some people were saying that they had a hard time connecting with like just the whole like um not not the, the like there's a whole rebel alliance, the rebels are there, but they didn't do anything to make you connect to the rebels, so you didn't care if they died or not, and it's just like they're fighting and it's kind of whatever, and then kind of the ending is kind of flat because Kang's this old powerful person, but he kind of gets take out kind of a cheesy way, and it's kind of like, well, okay. You know, because it is still Marvel, Disney, and they can't go super crazy. And you're not going to go super crazy either. But I guess a lot of people had uh, some of these reviewers I read, they had higher expectations because this is 
movie one of the new slate kicking off it. You know, I mean, the new era for Marvel here. And it's kind of starting off a little flat with this. And Kang is the big bad. So Jonathan Majors did a good job. And he's going to do a great job throughout this, you know, this franchise. It just, it didn't, it, it just didn't land. Paul Rudd is charming. It's charming. He's funny. He's Paul Rudd. He's he, Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd. You know, Paul Rudd's going to be Paul Rudd. Jonathan Majors showed a very dynamic bad guy. And then I guess at the end, there's, because you get, if you know anything about the Kang dynasty, well, it's a dynasty of people, you know, and he's going to be, I guess, maybe more reoccurring in this series. And just the way this movie ended was kind of flat for some people. Some people expected more. You know, well, I can't speak on it, but I, that's why I read. I can, I can agree with that to some degree because um, it did kind of, it could, it, it, it uh, the ending did feel a little done. You know, like you know, I think if this was the first time we had seen it. It probably would have landed a little better, but we kind of saw it previously in like Thor Ragnarok uh, to some extent. Um, I mean, I, you know, Paul Rudd, you know, was great in the film. Like, I have no issues with Paul Rudd's performance. Um, I do take issue with the fact that there was not enough wasp in it. You know, um, Evangeline Lilly kind of felt like she got the short <laughs> end of the stick on it. No, ser- I mean, in all ser- seriousness, like, it's Ant-Man and the Wasp, and there wasn't a lot of wasp in it. Um, now, there granted— of, There was a lot of his daughter. Yeah, well, at the center of the story, it really is about him reconnecting with his daughter. And, like, that's kind of the major his major motivation in everything he does— and that he's so lost. His daughter, not the wasp. She's not yeah, the wasp. Yeah, because like so, to live. well, so much of it is like the fact that he lost five years of his of time with his daughter, and like because of that, like she ha- harbors some resentment toward him. Um, you know, she, he's beginning to learn that she's more like him in ways that he doesn't like. Like she's been to jail a few times. Like she believes in fighting for what's right, just in the same way he did. Like when we meet Scott Lang in the first Ant Man film, he's coming out of jail because he. He hacked this company, you know, you know, to in defense of the employees who were getting the shaft. And, you know, so his daughter's kind of of the same mindset, like, I need to do what's right regardless. So she's because of that she's in and out of jail. And he wants he wants better for her, um, you know. Um, but I, I felt like, you know, while that, you know, obviously that relationship is center stage in this movie. I did feel like there wasn't, you know, you're going to title Ant-Man the Wasp. Where's the Wasp? And what I would have liked, I think there were there was something that they were trying to do with this film that I think if would have benefited from maybe an extra thirty minutes of play, uh, was you be, it becomes very apparent that despite the fact that Michelle Pfeiffer's character has come back, that Janet has come back, you know she's got a, and by the way her performance in this movie also is awesome. Like she does a really nice job selling like her fear and the secrets that she's holding, but. It becomes very clear that she's been keeping things from Han- from Hank and from um, from um, the Wasp. Um, uh, I forget her name right now, but but the point is, like, there here too is an opportunity for her to rekindle her relationship with her mother, who she hasn't known since she was like you know four years old. So, and I feel like we spend so much time with with um, Scott and his daughter. I think we would have benefited from more time with Janet and uh, the Wasp and rekindling that relationship. So you have two parallel stories where you have two relationships that are being repaired, you know, and then at the end, they kind of like, they eventually cross paths, right? You know, so I think that would have been beneficial. Uh, Now, back to your original point about you're talking about the end where it falls a little flat. Like, yeah, um, uh, I mean, yeah, the revolution stuff is fine, um, but uh, again, I, I also agree with the fact that it seemed like it seemed like a king was taken out just a little too easy for a guy who's supposed to be as powerful as he is. All it really took was for you know the ant spoilers. All it really took was for Ant Man to get really big and start crushing the city, and like he, they beat they beat the enemy, and and then they get and, and, and then it ends in a fist fight. Which again, like as powerfully as he is, I feel like the Ant Ant Man wouldn't have really stood a chance in that fight. So that's where I, I didn't they like, have a scene in the movie where Kang you you see how actually powerful he really is. He is like he's and like, he's like he, wiping people out. Yeah, he can like, like there's, a, he, there's a flashback sequence at one point where you see him that like she like again spoilers, 
Janet comes in con. What, what makes Janet scared of him when she's down there with him in the quantum realm originally is she discovers how well, how terrible he is through like a mind meld, for lack of a better term, with like the ship, his ship, and she sees flashbacks to when he's conquering all these worlds and how strong he is and how destructive he is. And you see a little bit of that in, in the end scene battle to a degree, but at the same time, like, um, uh, I felt like his his powers were throttled back a little bit there to, to ensure that he, you know, gets, gets beaten, which is again, is probably another reason why I was kind of disappointed. I think, I think in this case, I would have liked to have seen him win, which would have, you know, furthered the whole, Kang Dynasty kind of storyline to some degree. Um, also, I felt like, again, spoilers. I really was trying to avoid spoilers, but I guess I can't get away from it. Spoilers. Um, there's a point where, like, Hank shows up with these ants, and you find out in the beginning of the movie that, that, these, that his ants are, like, a little more evolved, and they're able to build technology at the microscopic level or something, and then when they get sucked into the quantum realm, they get stuck in this time... This, this time like uh disparity or something and they'd create their own civilization and they became basically become like super strong and like techno like you know technologically superior and they become like this MacGuffin that shows up out of nowhere toward the end of the movie and is like they are the ones that are able to defeat Kang. And it was like, wait, what? Like that so that for me was like another part a problem I had with it. Like you like these ants like go away, and it's like, and it, and it was like one really brief, like brief explanation from Hank, like, oh, they got you know caught in this time disparity, and they built they have built this evolved civilization, blah 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 blah, and like, and they show up in, a, in order to defeat Kang, and so again, I think that was another problem I had with it. So, um, so I'll say like things I like, you know, I liked Michelle Pfeiffer's performance, I liked Jonathan Major's performance. Um, you know, Paul Rudd is charming as ever. I like the stuff they were doing to him and his daughter. Um, things I didn't like, stakes were low, um, not enough, uh, not, not enough of the Wasp. And not only just More not enough of the Wasp, but just not enough of Wasp and Ant-Man together. Like, you know, I mean, I would have liked this. I mean, we spent, like, you know, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp was all about them coming together. And then she gets blipped. And she doesn't come back until the end of Endgame. So we never really get to see them really be like fight together, and and even in this movie, you, you they fight together for like, like three minutes in the film, really. So like it, so I would have liked to have seen more than two of them together. Um, but you know, again, spoilers. You know, the end the end credit scene, you know, implies that the obvious. So you find out, like. So he keeps talking about like there's a bigger threat coming, there's a bigger threat coming, and it's really kind of unclear as to what that bigger threat is. And the reason why he has to like destroy all these multiverses and kill all these people is to ensure that that bigger threat can never come. The end credit scene reveals that obviously he is not the only version of Kang. Um, so there is like a whole like stadium full of Kangs out there that are ready to destroy the universe. So by him dying, you unleash basically you unleash these other kings across the multiverse, um, and then we see a hint of that at the in the second end credit scene when uh, Loki it's a it's a it's a it's a a scene from Loki season two where they're like in the 19th century and they go to view this like time master and again it's one of Kang's variants. So that's kind that's kind of like what we're like that kind of leads us down this Kang road, but. Um, but yeah, so I would say overall, I give it like you know, I mean, I, IGN scored it at seven. I'd say that's about right. I, I'd probably would have given it maybe six point five. So seven is generous. What yeah. about Mordok? Mordok is trash. So all right, so Modok, you know, there's, you know, I think as far as in in media goes, not the I'm not gonna talk about the comics, but in media, Modok's been betrayed in a couple different ways, right? There's the Hulu show where. Pat Oswalt voices it, and it's a it's a comedy, and it's it's good. Like it. It's it's a funny show, but it was more of a comical look at the character. Um, if you play the Avengers game on PS on PlayStation, uh, Modok is in that is the main villain in that, and he's far more sinister, a lot more dangerous. A lot, you know, um, I I what I liked about I, mean, I thought it was interesting that they decided to use um, Darren, uh, uh, who played um, the. Um, you know, Yellow Jacket in the first film, they use the you know they bring him back and he's Modok, right? Like when the like Kang finds him shortly after he shows up in the quantum realm, 
and he's basically relegated to like a head and they you know put him in the in the in this in the suit and he becomes modok um uh again i acknowledge that this that, that the ant-man movies are more of a comedy you know that that's kind of that's kind of always if i was kind of leaned into the comedy aspect of it but like taika waititi and thor ragn and thor love and thunder um there's like there's a, like i feel like there's a fine line between like comedy and like ridiculousness like thor love and thunder like crossed that was really crossed that line where like it wasn't like they went from being funny to like being just absolutely ridiculous where modok was just past that line of comedy and into like ridiculousness um i would have liked to have seen him a little more sinister and i also felt like the visual effects were on modok 2 were a little poorly done like when you finally see see modok's face revealed right like in the previews you get you see him in the armor like you see his armor mask and in the the movie that he reveals that it's Darren, right? And it looked it really looked like someone took a like a digital photo of the actor and just stretched it. As it like so it didn't like it, it didn't look as convincing as I think I would have liked it to. Um so but I mean but that's not to say like Modoc, like I mean I enjoyed the, the, there were a, moment, a lot of moments on the screen that I enjoyed Modoc on, but again, um there was a moment toward the end there so they they wanted they wanted to get like they wanted to, to redeem the character, and it's actually kind of spoilers. It's a funny little like a little back and forth between Cassie and Darren, where she's like, you know, stop being a dick. Like that's like literally the line. Like just like you should stop like stop being a dick. And like so he like comes back to like fight on their side. And he's like I'm not a dick, you know, and like you know, and and, it, and it's funny, but at the same time it's like you know, uh, I thought it was just a little too quick for that change like that the arc of that character could have you know would you know, need a little more time and just like he just they just put him on a dime at the end there to be like to come back and be a good guy and then like so and and you know i know darren was always like as a character in the first one was always a little unhinged right like he was like mentally just a little unhinged so like they really tried to play into that i think but i just it kind of teetered on just ridiculousness i think yeah, I heard when I heard that Darren, what they made Darren that character, it gave me Wolverine the movie with like, uh, you know, Deadpool having Wolverine claws and the sealed mouth. We're just changing what the comic book is just to make it fit for this certain movie, and that kind of that kind of pissed when well, I kind of pissed me off a little bit, but. Just hearing that, I'm like, oh, that's gross. And then hearing that is even done worse. I'm like, oh no, Disney, you messing up, y'all better. Yeah, they, 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 this, this, this character would have benefited, I think, more from like being in like, because he's an Iron, really, he's an Iron Man villain. It would have been better if he was actually shown up in like an Iron Man movie or something, because you know he comes from AIM, and AIM is part of Iron Man three. Like, yeah. if you were like insert him anywhere, that would have been the place to do it. Um, in fact, you can even done it where like. You know, instead of making the main protagonist in Iron Man three this fire breathing dude, you could have like made him like turn him into Modok, which would have been like a probably well, would have been really cool. But yeah, I, so I was a little just. I mean, Modok was fun, but I I think I would have preferred him just to be a little more sinister, and I didn't like that they just kind of turned him around on a dime to be like a try to be a good do, a good guy. So, um, Modok would have been a cool character for this new Marvel where they're trying to redo the Avengers now. They could have, you know, with the lady, they're trying to do a lady Iron Man, essentially, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, Iron you Heart. Know, yeah, I mean, they, they, they could have made a show, Bulldog. like, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was. I mean, it was fun. Like, I think, like for me, like when they dropped the line, like uh, there's this part where, um, so Bill Murray's character is uh is talking to them, and he's like, "You're gonna meet a mechanism, a mechanized organism designed for killing." And it's like, oh, Modok, that's awesome! Like you, like immediately, you're just like excited to see the character. And when he shows up, he is pretty sinister, and you're like, oh shit, like he's a badass. But then, like he takes off the thing, and it's Darren, and he's like being quippy and stuff. And it was like, uh, all right, it kind of like sucks the wind out of your sails a little bit, you know? Because um, they, they they try to turn him into too much of a. I think they they made him too much. I mean, and and his interactions with like Scott and Darren too. Like again, it's a comedy. They're trying they're trying to make it, you know, funny, but at the same time, like. Like, like he, like I felt like Scott Lang was just, you know, looking at is is a little too unfazed by the fact that like 
his, that this guy who tried to kill his family survived and is now a giant head in a suit, right? Like, you know, um, but at any rate, you know, um, I, again, I would argue, so, I mean, I like it, you know, and, you know, it, you know, um, it was good, but it wasn't great. And I think there are things they could have done. And, and, okay. and maybe originally I could have swore the runtime on it was going to be two and a half hours, but it was only two. So maybe there's something that they left on the cutting room floor that this movie would have benefited from. I don't know, but um, yeah, it just um, it, it, yeah, it was good. I'll leave it at that. All right. Okay. And now also this week, um, our resident Trekkie here uh, saw Picard season three, episode one. Yes. The last season. Picard season three, episode one, titled the next, literally titled the next generation. Um, I loved it. You know, so I, you know, if we want to, you want like, you know, I, I went from just liking one thing to I absolutely loved this episode. Um, everything about it was just so purely, you know, next generation in that, you know, these friendships are rekindled. Seeing Riker and Picard together and just. You know, it, seeing how their relationship has evolved since the day Riker meets Picard in Episode One, Encounter in Fairpoint, to now, and seeing that like Riker still respects him as his as his captain, as his boss, but also their their family. Like it's it's two old friends, right? Like it's 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 the old men. It's it's the mentor and the mentee, and they're in a in such a comfortable place where they can critique each other, but. You know, and you know, be be real with each other, but still love, have love a great deal of love and friendship on the back end of it. So, I, this that alone, seeing the two of them together was so great. Um, this movie really leans into, um, like just Star Trek nostalgia from the soundtrack. Like they 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 mend they 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 meld or they mend tracks from like Star Trek First Contact, which which is like the best Star Trek Next Generation film. Um, they mend in soundtracks from star trek the motion picture um and then seeing just the new titan which is a you know the it's called the um the new like it's the new constitution class i forget what they call it but but just it just everything about it was just so well done and just so perfect and then seeing beverly crusher like the first scene of the episode is beverly crusher like in action kicking ass which is something we never get to see um in the next generation like she's literally like you know you know, in a gunfight on a on a small starship, you know, and and she's it was just great to see her on there and and see stakes, you know, like she was she's really scared and she's been injured and Picard is like I got I haven't talked to her in twenty five years, I got to get out there and help my friend and yeah it it was just really really well done and um, I'm excited to see where this show goes. Um, I, I mean, it's one it was one of those situations where. When the when the when the when the end credits rolled on the episode one, I I was really wishing that they were like Netflix and they like you know released all the episodes at once because I probably would have binged the entire show that like overnight because I just I just wanted more and everything like about the show was like it was just it just I wanted more I, I just wanted to keep to keep going and to keep going and um yeah I loved it um I, I, and it sounds like the critics love it too because it's got like a perfect hundred percent score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I'm excited to see how the rest of the season unfolds. All right. Yeah, man. You know, Paramount's gonna make you work for it. Just like they how sure I are, had to wait. Sure King, of, King of Tulsa, I had to wait every, week after week after week to finish this show. Hey, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to earn this one, but it's the last season. So, it's, you know, they're gonna, they should end on a bang for you guys, for you though. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, this is gonna be, it's gonna be huge. This uh this you know this is something the fans have been wanting for a long time and um I think you know as a Star Trek fan you know the, the last Star Trek Next Generation movie Nemesis never really scratched the itch as far as ending the franchise and um it'll be nice to see them get their get their swan song and you know get to um you know get get the the ending that they deserve so yeah super excited for how where this goes but um so. Okay. Uh, before we, you know, any more on that, I'd like to kind of move on to. I think I think it's actually a good segue because, uh, you know, you, you showed me an, uh, a video this week uh, of Warren Beatty, you know, re- more or less reprising his role as Dick Tracy, uh, which I was a huge fan of that movie when it came out. I owned all the action figures. I played Dick Tracy on the playground, um, 
it was it's arguably one of the first superhero movies, right? Like it's kind of I think it comes out like right after Bat, uh, Michael Keaton's first Batman film. Um, but that being said, and, and given what we saw also in in the Super Bowl, where we know we're, they were leaning a lot on '90s nostalgia, you know, bringing back stuff like Clueless and you know and and uh, and all the and uh, you know P Diddy and all those '90 like hip hop icons. Um, you know, '90s nostalgia is here, and it's very real. Um, you know, the '90s show debuted on Netflix with great fanfare. Like I watched it; it was awesome. Um, and it's funny because, like, you know, you know, it's 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 hilarious to me how, you know, these decades kind of always make their way back around, right? Because you know, all of us now that grew up in the '90s, we're teenagers, we're adults now, we're nostalgic for that time. Our kids are more are curious about those times. Um, but it's funny, you know, living in the '90s. I don't think I would have ever, you know, I never. I don't think I would have. I felt like I would ever saw the day where it became um, so popular again. So, you know, what are your thoughts? Well, just to give a little context here. So, back in 1985, Warren Beatty brought the rights to Dick Tracy, and when that beautiful, beautiful work of art. Dick Tracy movie came out in the 80s there. Warren Beatty directed, produced, and starred in it, which is wild. I didn't really know he did all that. And oh, yeah. if you if you look back in this film, it has Al Pacino in it, uh Flea, Madonna. It's a musical. It's got it's got like, Dustin Hoffman. It's got a it's got Dustin the cast Hoffman. is huge on, on Dick Tracy. Huge. Huge. I mean, it has a, a legit and they're giving great effort too. They're not phoning it in. It's a believable story, even though it's about a detective who wears a yellow suit and a yellow hat. Um, so it's really weird. And Disney kind of owned part of the property, but Disney want, didn't want to send it out because it was more of an adult theme, of, of course, with their shootouts with Tommy guns and drug abuse and whatnot. So Disney was trying to save waivers. So they didn't really, they used a third party to send it out. So because of this, Warren Beatty owns the full rights of Dick Tracy, but through the te- through court order, after a certain amount of time, Disney could claim back their stuff and use it. So Warren, but unless you, and it's more more or less. I don't want to use the legal jargon in it, but uh, for simple purposes of speaking, it's more um, use it or lose it. And so Warren Beatty says, "I'm gonna use it then." So back in 2010. He did an interview dressed as Dick Tracy, pretended to be Dick Tracy, and and it was on uh, Turner Classic Movie Channel because apparently him and them are really tight. And it was an hour-long special, and because of it, it was fine. And the court let him continue being Dick Tracy, and no one could use it. No one can make a sequel unless he wants it to happen and lets it happen, which he does not. So here's his man, 85, mind you, and... They on Turner Classic Movie on a Friday night at 10 o'clock with no commercials added telling you this is going to happen. It appears that there's two film critics and Warren Beatty as Dick Tracy interviewing each other on a Zoom call. And then Dick Tracy's talking about how he doesn't like how Warren Beatty portrayed him or some scenes were done. So they called in Warren Beatty. So now you have two film critics watching Warren Beatty interview Dick Tracy as Warren Beatty for an hour. And then that's it. And because it happened this past week or so, now Warren Beatty owns the rights for the next couple of years, a la pretty much his dying bed here, until his bedside here, until he's dead, because Disney's just not going to have it. And it's just, it's absolutely, a part of me actually respects that. I respect that. Part of me is upset. I want to see Dick Tracy and the world of the mobsters, this pseudo-mobster world that they gave us um, in between the Godfather and Goodfellas, you had Dick Tracy. But at the same time, it's it's I respect it, but I'm kind of sad because I would like to see Dick Tracy on the big screen again because he came out around time with Batman. Now he had Dick Tracy toys. You know, I, anytime it came on HBO, I watched it. You know, it had... It, it it was a uh, one of the very first comic books ever, really. Um, I think it was a Valiant comic. Yeah, one of the things I like about comic. it too, it, it was one of the first comic 
movies, and it really leaned into that. Like, the, it used the comic color palette, right? Like, the reason why his coat and hat are yellow is because in the comics, the color palette for his cat, his hat and coat were yellow. Um, you know, so it, it really it leans into like, and, and in comics, so much of like the color palette speaks to like the characters. You know, the bright green suits, the orange, the reds, like. You know, so I mean, it really leaned into the comic bookness of the of the strip. Um, you know, and uh, it, it it is it's, it's one of your first comic book movies of all time, like big fight scenes and outlandish character, like outlandish outlandish villains and the damsel in distress and all, all those things are 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 in this in this movie, and it's really well done. Um, you know, and you're and you're right, yeah. I think Disney released it via Miramax, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, because it, it is a little darker. I mean, you got Breathless Mahoney played by Madonna, you know, and like the height of her, like her peak, peak Madonna, you know, well, like she was like sexy in one scene, like she was in the dark with like some yeah. scout thing going on. Yeah, I mean, that's it's like it's like it's it's you know, I mean, and by the way, like she followed up with you know, I mean, Vogue comes from her album I Am Breathless, like that's that album is huge because like it's this it is a soundtrack more or less for like Dick Tracy. Um, you know, I mean, so that the movie was huge and, um, you know, it, it kind of paved the way for those things going forward. I'd love to see another Dick Tracy movie. I think the world needs another Dick Tracy movie. I mean, I get, I think it's great that Warren Beatty has the rights to it. And he's kind of throw it in the face of Disney, but at the same time, like, you know, uh, if you don't want Disney to have it, find someone you do want to have it and let's have another Dick Tracy movie. Like, cause I mean, I think it's one of those, he's one of those characters that, you know, deserves that deserves a renewal, right? It deserves to continue yeah. to be part of pop culture. And I remember when I was, I mean, I, I didn't know Dick Tracy was as old as he was when I, you know, when I was a kid and watched the movie. I remember my, I was such a big fan of it. I dressed as Dick Tracy for Halloween. My, my grandparents got me some Dick Tracy movies and they were in black and white. And I was like, wait, this is not the Dick Tracy I know. Like, you know what I mean? And, but yeah, I mean, it's, that Warren Beatty as Dick Tracy is not the first time, right? Like, and um, they even talk about that in the, um, in the, in the video, um, how it's been, he's been played by other people. Um, and those movies too are like really violent. Like they're like, they were like legit noir detective films with like, with characters that were like really trying to kill each other. You know, they weren't like kids. Those weren't kids movies. Uh, I mean, the comic strip is like you could argue is com is for kids, but the those black and white movies were were pretty heavy. So um, yeah, I mean, I think Dick Tracy, just like everyone else, deserves you know deserves another some more time in the sun. Um, you know, but and and, and now seems to be the right that time to 90s, do it, right? So like, I mean, with all the '90s nostalgia, and you know, uh, now would be probably be a good time to to do it. Absolutely, and you know, and. That was that 90s show that's on Netflix right now. Um, I watched, I think I've seen like five, six episodes. I like, it, it's, I have the good and bad. Like, the good is Kitty and Red. Kitty oh, they're and Red, always great. Yeah, they're so great. Timeless. Timeless. Like, they're just good. It, and it's like the evolution where you saw from the first episode where Red's so chill and happy. And he slides back to old Red because he's like, these damn kids. I can't stand this. I got. I can't believe this. We're retired. Why are we doing this? And he's just upset dealing with these kids. And Kitty just along for the ride, just happy to have a granddaughter and do ex do like these like weird things they're doing, going around town and blah blah blah. And there's a lot of cameos. A lot of like, oh, I remember him. Like Chong appears on there. I saw Chong. They went to Chong's house. Yeah, Fez. You know, all yeah, you know, Fez shows up. You know, um, Kutcher, yeah, they, they and, bring uh, back. Yeah, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis make their appearance. You know, and of course, you know, yeah. Eric and um, Donna. Like, um, and I, I think that was. I think, in my opinion, I think there was a missed call on that because I think they having Donna and Eric together bothers me. I think they should have been divorced. And then that's they wholehearted, like, dude. That is so look, dark. Look, Why do you man, want that, look, man? Look. Look, I'm still did not get over Eric going to Africa, but um, <laughs> I'm still not over this. But at the same time, you know, I think them being as as separate parents trying to take care of her, you get because you get two contrast and parenting styles with them anyway. So you might as well just have them not together and whatever because they're together on the big screen doesn't mean you don't. I don't the chemistry between them don't feel right like it did back then. They don't feel the same. Yeah. 
I guess. It, I mean, they didn't, no, they didn't share a lot the of screen. No, well, they didn't share and, a lot of screen time that, together anyways, but. Right. And it didn't feel, it doesn't feel right. So I'm kind of like, whatever, man. You know, I, I don't like, the bad is that I don't like her group of friends. Her group of friends, like, she's carrying on the four-man tradition of being awkward. Um, even though there's one whole episode where she's literally sexy harassing all these boys at the mall. Which I'm like, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a flip, she's huh? To, <laughs> that's a weird one. She's just trying to make out all these boys, and she's assaulting these boys at the mall. Like, wait a minute, this isn't all right. But her friend group's really weird. You know what I mean? They don't have, like, an all-natural black girl. She has to be mixed. You know, they have they have uh, Kelso's kid who is, like, hitting on her. Just hook up already. You know, they got the fake. They got the other Kelso's. The kid is playing Kelso, essentially, but it's not Kelso's kid. And he's just too dumb. And being too dumb doesn't... Ashton Kutcher makes it work. This kid does not. You know, it, it, they you know they have like the other kid who who is um, homosexual. You know, but he's like way out the door. And in the '90s, if you remember the '90s, it wasn't like that for those people that lived that lifestyle. You know, I mean, it was you had MTV that had the first two guys kissing on screen, kind of on a reality TV show type thing. You know, I I we went to school. With people that had, were in that lifestyle and they did not live the lifestyle this kid's living going to raves and i don't know man you didn't know I, clearly you clearly you didn't know the the home the gay guys i knew in in high school because the, the the gay guys in the theater group they definitely were living uh, like this guy was yeah, living in in the show so we're in a theater group that is true that is true but uh, i mean true. like i, I guess but, for me the reason why I, this... I, I go ahead no you go ahead no, I, I guess for me, like the reason why it's a show perfect, absolutely not. But I think the reason why I liked it so much is because it, it did remind me a lot about my like my life growing up. Like, and I, I look back on it, like I can see Kitty and Red being my grandparents, right? Because my mom grew up, my mom grew up in the seventies, you know. So she, you know, so the, when she the seventies shows came, seventies show came out, like she was very nostalgic for that show, and that, but like, and to see it now, like. Holy crap! You know, uh, I can see myself in that group of friends, like in the '90s, hanging out with my grandparents. You know, because like, and then like in their basement in upstate New York. Um, you know, it just, it just, it, it resonates with me from that fact, right? Like, you know, that here's this pair of grandparents who, in real life, are about the age of my grandparents back in the '90s as well. Um, and to see them, like the way they're interacting with these kids, and I can, I can see myself in those situations. You know, and yeah, I mean, I'm, it just made it, it did. I'm not gonna lie, it did. It was it did what it was it did what it was designed to do, and that was make me nostalgic for that era, and then make I think make kids excited or teenagers today uh, excited for what life was like in that in that era too. And it's crazy to talk like that because like it doesn't seem that for me it doesn't seem that far away. Although I will say uh, one of the things that's blown my mind right now is um, our buddy Skeezer. Who I, you know, I follow on Facebook. Oh. His son oh, is no. going to his first military ball, and it just—it's just mind blowing to me that we that there are friends out there who have kids that are going to an event that we attended as kids uh, at the from the same high school, you know, that we attended as kids. So it's it's a little oh, wow. surreal, you know. I mean, and it, it's um, it, when I saw that post, it just made me think of like our like our childhood in the nineties and. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I've 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 had a, like a weird '90s nostalgia kick lately. I've if you were to if you were to be sitting with me in my car going to and from work lately, it, it's all been like '90s hip hop. Like I've had like Dre on and Snoop and like you know all these '90s hip hop artists and like Biggie. I've been on like this huge '90s nostalgia kick lately, and I don't know if it's because of all the media I've been consuming or what, but yeah, it's 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 I'm I love the fact that it's come back. I'm not gonna lie. Well, yeah, we got to ride the wave, you know, I, 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 you're right. Absolutely. How things turn back around. Cause when we were in the nineties, when we were kids, seventies was popping off bell bottoms. People wearing bell bottom pants. Sorry. In the early two thousands, people were like, Oh, I like this, da, 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 you know? And I think in the mid two thousands, you had the bright colors, people wearing bright colors, kind of the, like the early nineties. 
Carl Kanai, Cross Colors brand of clothes. So it all whatever. I just, I just remember not like the, hot, but whatever. Well, what's crazy what about like I remember like the '90s fashion, at least for us, was always like I remember it was like a lot of earth tones. Everything was like navy blue, forest green, brown, um, like because it was like it was it was that perfect blend of like grunge, you know, like you know, like everyone had like the the like like even the even like gangster rappers were wearing like plaid, <laughs> flannel and plaid. I yeah, it was, a, and plaid. it was a tough time. Ninety was um, a tough time. You had the JUCO jeans. Yeah, Jinkos. Because there was like there was there was the punk group too that used to wear like the shirts with the flames on them and stuff that were made out of like polyester, like like yeah. <laughs> so they had that. People were wearing these like weird clothes like that. You had the really baggy jeans. That sweater vest that fell right. All of us had yes. sweater vests. Sweater vests. You had the double um double uh, feather double down goose jackets, bomber jackets. Um you know, starter jackets. It, it, that was the thing in the nineties. You know, I I was in high school. I didn't have anything name brand. I I didn't. My shoes. I wore Nikes. I didn't have anything fancy. I used to my clothes. Get my clothes from Kmart and Target. So yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> I'll never forget. Um, I had like this Baja sweater, and um. I remember like this girl at one day was like, I like your sweater. Where'd you get it? And I said, Upton's first off, Upton's <laughs> is not around anymore, by the way, but it was like, Upton's was like another verse and JC Penney's. And they had a solo store uh, out there off of um, Farrell Parkway down in the Kempsville area. And I remember that's where I got it from. And I remember this girl's giving me like this look like Upton's like, well, who shops at Upton's? <laughs> My man proud. I'm in proud. Well, if I was still young, I didn't know what cool was. Yeah, I think I, like the I think the I didn't start. I only I got started shopping at cool stores till I was like old enough to drive myself, and I was working. Like I started like going to Journeys to get my shoes and stuff like that. Yeah, like I I used to. That's the only thing I had. The only thing that was name brand was my shoes. Like I would yeah. wear. I can remember. I can I can remember all the pairs of shoes I had from third grade up. And I remember one time I had like the British Knights. Cause Hammer had them, and I wanted them really bad, and I got them in third grade. Fourth grade, I fell off the wagon. My mom bought me these Kmart like Volts, and they were terrible. They were just ugly shoes, and I was I hated them all year. Cause back then, you get one pair of shoes for school, one pair. That's right. And that's just yeah. cool shoes all year. They're they're one size larger, so they're gigantic at the beginning of the year, and then by the end, you're you're you grew into them, and Fifth grade, I had a pair of regular Nikes, and then I hit I hit the top. I went I I I boxed with God too fast. Sixth grade, I had the uh, Space Jam came out when I was in sixth grade, and we had I had the Jordans, uh, Space Jams, and my mom spent like close to like ninety dollars on those things, and she was not excited. And then the next year, I pressed my luck, and then um, I got the Kevin Garnett's and she spent $120 on shoes. And she said, I'll never spend $120 on shoes ever again for you. And I was like, well, that was it. And then I mean, in high school, I wear Air Force ones the entire time. Cause I was like, well, these are 60. That's something that's crazy to me too, man. I remember like, I, I was never a big shoe guy, although I did. Well, I can't say that because I, I, well, I never owned a pair of Air Jordans. Um, I definitely owned a couple of different pairs of Timberland boots. Um, you know, because Tim, Tim's were like the big thing. I remember Tim's were like a big thing, you know, growing up in the nineties, yep. uh, with your baggy pants and your sweater vest, uh, and your white shirt underneath the sweater, the t-shirt underneath said sweater vest. Um, so I had a couple different, uh, you know, Timberland boots that I owned. Um, and those weren't, those were not cheap either. And I can remember my mom thinking, well, why do you need another pair? Those are still good. I'm like, they have a scuff on them, mom. There's a scuff. I can't get out of the suede. So, you know, it was, you know, one of those situations where if there was a scuff on it, nope, that's it. It's no longer, it's no good. Um, today, I've, I don't even care anymore. But, yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, fashion back then was just, um, <laughs> it's just so different from what we see today. But uh, that being said, though, like, I didn't realize, like, how big, like, like, tennis shoe culture had become, right? Like, now, like, kids, like, have YouTube channels they dedicate to talking about unboxing and wearing Air Jordans and like trade the tra like trading Air Jordans and all kinds of stuff like that. It blows my mind that like that's a that's a thing. Like, well, I'm I'm a part of that culture, and 
The I I don't sit there and buy Jordans every two weeks like some people do, um, but it's definitely it's a big deal, you know, and it's hard because like if you like because there's such a limited quantity and there's so many bots out there that like as soon as a shoe drops, it could I tell you what one pair of shoes I I got and I was on the site it was drop at ten o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting there. It was 9.55, 9.59. I'm sitting there waiting on the site. So the shoe's 10 o'clock. It's like, bam, you could buy. I clicked the shoe. I clicked my size. I clicked to check out, and it said error. And I went back to the screen to see what's wrong with the error, and it sold out. Every shoe sold out. And now I was like, Jesus Christ. It's still 10 o'clock. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock. And so I lost out. Where the shoe cost $210. And I couldn't buy for two ten. I had to wait and buy them for two seventy because I had to buy them from a third party, like Flight Club. I had to buy from Flight Club. So I'm like, <laughs> damn! I was so pissed. I was like, I came home and I was bitching at my wife about it. And I was like, man, I'm like I really want to shoot. Now I want to spend. I want to spend close to three hundred dollars on shoes. Now I don't want to do that. Like I was good paying two hundred. Not paying three hundred. No, <laughs> I was gonna spend two hundred bucks on pair of shoes. <laughs> I don't feel good about it, you know. And it's like, damn. So like, that's when you're like, when you're talking about scuff marks, when it, the, the scuff marks are very serious now. Like, no, I can't. Where are we going? Are we going to grass? I'm not wearing these. Are we in the grass? <laughs> Is it raining today? No, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere <laughs> like that. Are we going to the mall? Oh, that's safe. So you know I mean, no running. So to wrap things up, since we're getting close to an hour, I'm curious, like if you, so if you have one thing that you would want to see come back from the nineties and one thing that you don't want to see come back from the nineties, what would they be? Hmm. I want from the nineties, um, the Batman animated series, which is coming, which is supposed to be coming back. I, they were supposed to be supposedly, but I, I yeah. It's rough when the guy he's dead. Oh yeah, Kevin Conroy. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I used to get home from school, three thirty, turn it on, and it was magic. And it was, I speak of it as like some kind of wonderful thing, but it was a very adult cartoon for three thirty afternoon with, you know, Two Face was face getting blown off to Clay Face and like clayed up and you know all these different episodes. Like it was just, I didn't appreciate it. Like as an adult, thinking back on these episodes and actually like seeing snippets online about it, I appreciate it a lot more now as an adult than I did as, at the time in high school. Because I'm like, well, it was cool, but now I'm like, man, the deep and the depth and these writers writing stuff like this is amazing. So yeah, um, what I don't want to come back from the '90s, Christ, I would say like. One thing will never come back, unfortunately, with streaming services, but I don't want to ever come back would be like kind of like how we had TGIF. Oh, okay. You know, so you don't want TGIF. TGIF on Friday night. I don't want that back anymore. Because looking back, I like Family Matters. You know, Family Matters was cool. But after 8 30, that rest of the lineup was kind of trash. It was kind of trash, you know, and there's no, you won't have it again. And you can't get us to like like it, a lineup of like comedy shows like that anymore. Even with like, you know, we had to have Sunday nights with like The Simpsons and Living Color back then, into like Thursday nights with Martin, The Living Single. And you just don't have that anymore. But I really don't want that brand of cheesy ass shows like Step by Step and all that to come back. Like you just keep that nostalgia away. I don't want that nostalgia. That nostalgia sucks. Like, that's not good. Because what my fear is, they'll take a show like that and they'll reboot it. And they'll reboot it the wrong way. Like, the 90s show was kind of a like, fresh... Like Bel Air time. on Peacock? The newer, grittier Correct. version of the Fresh Prince? Grittier. Am I watching that? No. Some people say it's really good and everything else. I'm like, I don't want it. They're like, oh, well, Will Smith produces it. Even worse. So I'm like, I, <laughs> I don't want it. Give me a fresh idea. Don't give me a rehash on something like that. I think it'd be kind of cool to see a Family Matters 
where you give me Jaleel White and the lady who played Laura Winslow as they are adults, whatever, and they have kids, and then seeing how Urkel's being a father, I'd watch that. But again, that's not a reboot. That's more of a rehash. I don't want any 90s reboots. Leave the reboots alone. That's fair. All right, so I'll say... So I already got back what I wanted back from the 90s. I got the next generation back. So seeing Picard and the rest of the crew of the Enterprise Delta back in action, I'm happy. I got back one of my uh, my favorite things about the 90s, and that was 90s Star Trek. So I'm happy about that. Um, but the one thing I'll say I definitely don't want to come back is uh, boy bands, which I know you'll never get rid of boy bands in some way, shape, or fashion, but the fact of the matter is 90s boy bands, like, it was weird. I was watching this great documentary uh, series, um, and I can't remember what it is now, but they talked about how, like, so much of the, mu- the music of the early 90s was, like, very real, right? Like, it was, like... Like grunge and '90s hip hop, like gangster rap, were like re- was like real music that talked about real issues, and like it brought forth like items like suicide and depression, gang violence, drug use. Like there was like real like people were really bringing to people's attention the reality of life in certain places around the United States. And then like in the mid '90s, like it, it flipped and it became everything became pop music. So it was everything became boy bands like In Sync and 98 Degrees and the Backstreet Boys. And while I'm not gonna lie, like yeah, when I was in, you know I remember we you know we we enjoyed that. Yeah, music yeah, you damn right. You better say that y'all were yeah. singing the fuck out of them damn thing. Yeah, I'm not gonna act like that didn't happen. Like you know I mean yeah, I mean we got caught up in it too. Um, you know I was a very basic bitch in 1998, 1999. Uh, but um, I I really want I want to see a day again where we get the real music. And I, I feel like the stuff I hear now, like I, cause I do listen to, you know, I, I try to keep up with what's going on and I listen to some of the, the more, the music, the stations that are play the, the, the newer stuff. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it's all poppy, you know, it's all, you know, and I'd love, I'd love to, I would love to see a return to like, you know, that, that real sound that we got from the early nineties. And, but, you know, uh, as always, the music industry continues to lean into the poppy stuff and, um, you know, I admire the fact that the Backstreet, or not the Backstreet Boys, but um, you know, New Kids on the Block have had a bit of a revival. Um, if we can just not have boy bands, I think that'd be a value to us all. That's interesting because boy bands exist with K-pop. I know that's what I'm saying. Like it's it's it will will never escape right. it. It'll they always be exist. Very much but... on that, and like the realness of music's gone away. Um, very interesting. Uh, if you have time. time Go under YouTube and type in Earworm. Um, Vice does a thing called Earworm where they always like break down music and stuff like that. And they broke down autotune because music nowadays is heavily influenced by autotune. And they say even some of your favorite songs, you might not think as autotune has autotune now because singers, if you naturally sing, you're going to, your voice will naturally mess up a chord, an A, an F, or something like that, right? Auto-tune makes it perfect. So all of a sudden, you'll get stuck with these pop artists. I, I me and my wife were watching um, The Strain on Hulu again. Um, I, I never finished it. So I was like, yeah, you know what? I got stuck on season two. Let's watch it again. Because Last of Us got us hooked on this stuff now. So we're just on it. So <laughs> And the commercials, uh, they have that one girl where she's singing, where she looks like she's like wet slash dirty and signs some kind of library, talking about... She looks good on paper, but I look good on you. And her voice is kind of like very auto-tuny and this, that, whatever. And it's like, that's not her actually singing. It's her singing, but there's a lot of auto-tune in there to make her sound like that. So I, I've been turning into a a real singer, like a real voice truther now. I mean, walk around them. That person's not a good singer. That person's a better singer. That person's a better singer than that person. I've been walking around saying that stuff, and my friends think I'm crazy now. Because I'm always analyzing music like that, but Auto Tune is definitely doing that, and it's hard because the boy bands back in the day, like I said, New Kids didn't and didn't do that, and Instinct at first didn't, but then they slowly slid into Auto Tune because it was just kind of cool. Their second album, Pop, and all that, you know, and so and then they all started sounding the same because the Auto Tune made it sound the same. You have these female rappers out here have the same writers for themselves. And they have sound the same because the auto tune makes them sound like that when they're 
rap singing because that's what music is now rap singing a little yeah, bit of rap yeah. a little bit of singing a little <laughs> singing a little bit of rapping i'm wearing skinny jeans i'm about killing you rap singing about your girl yeah I'm like what the hell that's what music <laughs> is it's really tough it's hip-hop um all right folks well we have reached an hour um i hope you hung out with us um so uh, what do you got looking forward to this week anything mr uh mr Locke? this week um i don't know we're going to um i'm gonna continue watching the strain i think last of us here after i get off here i want to go downstairs and uh watch last of us episode six yeah buddy so we have what we have what three episodes left of this show oh wait hold on so, wait uh, oh man i know we we're coming to a close but what were your thoughts on episode five um it's it, i i feel i feel depressed every episode but i mean, <laughs> <laughs> depressed every episode i have no feelings the you know it it was a good episode you know you just knew when having that little kid you're like fuck this is this is turning bad um it was good seeing that one lady get her just desserts mm-hmm. um i felt really stupid that one guy's like turns at her and looks at her like run so why are you not running yeah yeah like <laughs> what do you owe her what do you owe her? You're not married to her. She talks to you like shit. You know what I mean? And you're gonna sit there and sacrifice yourself? Like, what kind of cult is this? I thought y'all are just the rebels. Y'all are. This is a cult now. Like, I'm just. I'm most confused. But I mean, it, it was. Um. I, and Mr. Joel is a marksman. Because he oh was yeah, headshot, headshot, headshot. I was like, man, sign this guy up. He's a sniper. I didn't know he had a military background. I thought he was a carpenter. Dude, I, that that was one that's one of my favorite I, so i finished the game again and god it's so good um I, that's one of my favorite parts of the game dude when you get up in that house and you're like sniping dudes like i'm down the street and then like they have the then the like all the infected show up and you're trying to like protect them from the infected like it's it, it's one of those scenes that, like even, even though like there's no da- immediate danger to you it builds you with so much anxiety because you're watching like these dudes and these infected start to come after these characters that you've grown to like, like, you know, cause like Joel creates this bond with this, you know, with a, was it Henry is his name? I forget, but, yeah. you know, but builds this bond and then like Ellie builds this bond with this little boy. And now you're all trying to get out. Like you, you finally figure out like, Hey, we're all going to go to, we're all going to go to Wyoming together. And then like, you know, you get in this scene where like Joel is like you're up and you're holed up in this spot and you're trying to protect them and there's they keep coming from all angles. It like there's no danger to you as a character, game character, but it does create this anxiety in you. And then the show did a great job of capturing that same feeling where like he's just a he is a witness to what's happening down there. There's no danger to him, but he's in this position where he's just watching these people like in just complete danger and there's nothing you can really do about it. So it was. I thought they did a great job. And then, of course, like we knew from the game that like the little boy was going to get bit. He's going to get infected. His, you know, his brother has to kill him and he's going to commit suicide. And I think the fact that he was deaf made it that much more powerful because like that boy is so dependent on him because like he's deaf and like his brother's the only one that can speak to him in sign language. And like he has no, like he can't hear, so he doesn't know what dangers around him at any one time. So like he is. 100% like like uh, relies on his brother and then his brother too like his older brother Henley like is 100% dependent on him for emotional support and like everything he does everything that motivates that character is based on the protection of his little brother and then like for him to see to the, for them to like for him to have to kill him and then commit and then commit suicide they did this it was way more powerful just by the fact that the boy was deaf it was Again, this show continues continues to knock this out of the ballpark. So now I'm looking forward to episode six, where they meet up. We, we finally meet up with Joel and his brother, and we get into winter because winter, fall, and winter in the game are like the two heaviest parts of the game. And oh, it just continues to this show just continues to uh, to operate on all four cylinders. You know, and, and just a side note, like you saw more of like Joel gaining humanity in that episode when he went to that perch and that guy, the sniper that was in the window and he caught him and he looked at him, had the gun pointed at him. like, Hey man, just put the gun down and walk away. Just put the gun down and walk away, man. Just walk away. And dude did. And he had to shoot him. And you can tell Joel didn't want to kill him. Where if you saw the beginning of the episode, beginning two episodes, Joel just killing, like he had to kill somebody. He's killed him without question. 
So he's trying to, he's gaining, Ellie's giving humanity back and he's beginning to feel, see the good in people again, you know, but the world is still asking him to do bad things. Not as like bad things, but the things he has to do to survive. And then it, it turns to a kill to be killed situation. So it's, it's just interesting, you know I mean? Uh, with the current suicide, they buried him. I would have left their bodies in the hotel room. There's no way I'm wasting time burying these two people. Not as cold blooded. <laughs> yeah, there's just no way. We got to go. We're, we're not going to spend an hour digging graves for people we knew for a day. This is past. No way, bro. No way. No, no, no. Mm-mm. No. All right. Well, we'll have to talk more about next week uh, after seeing episode six tonight. But that being said, I am Mr. Fig. And I'm Mr. Locke. Hey, everybody. Have a nice week, and thanks for listening. Thank you.